Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together and recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this Sunday morning, the fourth Sunday in Advent, coming up to uh, Christmas. I want to welcome all those who watch us online all over the world. It's kind of exciting to look at some of the <laughs> places that people are listening to us. Thousands of people, uh, anywhere from seven to 10,000 people a week watch online all around the world. And we're talking in China and in Eastern Europe and in you know, Australia, I mean, all over the place. It's fun to watch them, and oftentimes they send us little greetings from wherever they're watching, and we're glad that you're watching with us. Uh, and, of course, next Sunday is Christmas morning. Now, Celebration Church, our Sunday morning service will be Saturday night, <laughs> okay? If you come Sunday morning, you won't get in, <laughs> okay? People say, why do you do that? Well, like every eight years or so, however it works out math-wise, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And uh, we used to do, we always do the Christmas Eve service, and then we used to stay over for the Christmas morning service, and generally we'd have like seven people show up. And it was like horrifying. It was like the day after Hiroshima, you know, and it's like, oh, good night. So uh, we, <laughs> we finally said, you know, let's just do it. Saturday, okay, Christmas Eve is our weekend service. Everybody say Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. All right, so don't be coming on Sunday morning. You can, however, with your family, click on your uh, iPads or whatever, computers and stuff, and we will be uh, streaming a service uh, uh, in the morning uh, and uh, bring a little mini message and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, just enjoy your families and stuff like that. So come Christmas Eve. All right, this morning... Um, looking at a message entitled, Joy to the World. We're going to read from Luke, the second chapter. And it says, uh, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. We often think, gee, wouldn't it be cool to run into angels? Apparently, it's not such a calming experience. It's rather freaky. And they were all totally terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. If there is one word that describes the Christian experience, it is the word joy. When the joy of Christ fills your heart, it is transformative. It's why we sing the way we sing. It's why we celebrate our faith. It's why we love to share our faith with others. Because of this powerful, wonderful experience that happens 
when by faith we reach out to Christ and look to his sacrifice on the cross and understand that sacrifice was for me. And we ask him into our lives and you ask him, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. You put your hope and trust in him. And when you get the weight of the world lifted from your shoulders, when the sin and the guilt gets lifted off, there is nothing to replace that but pure, unadulterated joy. And it is a wonderful thing. You say, well, I've never experienced that. Well, that's a bad sign for you, okay? A lot of people, their faith is more here. It's kind of intellectualist out here. I believe. They can even actually mentally acknowledge all the right things, but never truly surrender their hearts. True faith experiences right here, okay? Faith isn't about here. People like to try and understand God and answer all their fancy questions about God and see if I can just go my answers. I'll tell you, it's not about getting your answers answered, questions answered. It's about faith. It's about surrendering your heart to this wonderful God who paid such an incredible price that you might be saved. And if you truly do that, it will fill you with wonderful joy. Peter writes about this. Now, you have to understand, Peter uh, was with Jesus, and he saw what he did and experienced it firsthand. And I mean, how cool did that have to be, right? To be there with him and listen to the words he's saying and watch him heal the sick and raise the dead and all these miracles. I mean, clearly, it's easy for Peter to be a believer, right? He sees all this. But he writes in his first letter, because uh, he's kind of stunned. You know, it's kind of interesting. As, you know, as he looks out and he sees so many thousands of people's lives being transformed as the gospel starts to spread throughout the world after the resurrection. And what's amazing about it is way more people than when Jesus was right here. And it's stunned. And, and he says... Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, the, the trademark of the Christian experience is, in fact, joy. Peter's looking at this. Man, you guys have never seen him, and you still can't see him. But yet you've come to him by faith. You've experienced his spirit and his power in your life, and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy because we know that God is on our side, but because he, he's with us. You know, on our Wednesday night Bible studies, and again, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday night, you need to come on Wednesday night to our Bible studies. This is an important time to get God's word inside of you. Say, why? Because it'll change you. It'll empower you. And I've said many times, and we'll continue to drill this. You want your life to be better one year from today, you come every Sunday morning, you come on Wednesday night. You get God's word in you. I absolutely guarantee it. You say, how can you say that? Because the people who are the most successful right now in the Christian faith are the people who always come. And they get God's word in them. Those of you right now struggling the most in your life. Your life stinks. Your job stinks. Your marriage stinks. Your kids stink. Everything about you is big reeks everywhere you go. These are the people, if you ask them, they don't go to church every Sunday. They go, come oh, most Sundays. And they certainly never come on Wednesday nights. Do the math, people. You want God to change you. You want the joy of the Spirit in you and permeating in your life. You need to come and experience this and get God's Word inside you. And we've been studying the book of Romans. And uh, in Romans, we read this actually just the other night. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God can take anything and turn it into good. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is from God. All right? A lot of people struggle with that. Listen, if something lousy happens to you, it's probably not God. It's either just people 
or it's the devil. People say, well, how come there's so much death in the world? If there's a God, why is there so much death in the world? Because there's also a devil who hates you, and he hates people, and he wants to get people at each other's throat and cause all kinds of death and destruction. So it's amazing how the devil comes and destroys people's lives, and then he gets people to say, must that be a God? It's not about it's not a God. It's because there's evil in the world, all right? But no matter what happens to you, God is able to turn your circumstances around for your good. It's a powerful thing. You see this throughout the Bible over and over and over again, how circumstances will come. They're bad circumstances, but yet God takes all those things and turns them around. This is what we know, that God works for the good, all these things, to those who love him. One of the most amazing stories, entertaining stories, actually, stunning stories, all of the above, uh, in, the, in the New Testament is in the, in the book of Acts. Now, the, the book of Acts, you have the Gospels, and then you have the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is like the historical account of the early Christian experience. Then you have all the epistles, the letters, and stuff. Uh, but uh, as they're going through and describing what happens, um, they're following the life. The, the, the Luke is the one, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke is the one who writes Acts. And at this point now, he's, he's with Paul, and he's writing what's happening in Paul's life. Paul gets in a situation where he's preaching the gospel. Everything goes wrong. Uh, they arrest him, and uh, him and Silas. And we pick up the story in uh, Acts, the 16th chapter. It says, after they had been severely flogged, which I guess is worse than just being flogged. <laughs> flogged is bad enough. When it's severely flogged, that's a bad day for you. And it's awful. I mean, they beat the snot out of these people severely flogged, then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Their backs are ripped open from the whipping they had just gotten. They're stuck in this prison. And we're not talking Brown County lockup here, okay? This, this is... 2,000 years ago, prisons were really bad, filthy, disgusting, awful places, and they wanted them that way. That's why it was called prison, someplace you'd want to avoid. So they're stuck in this awful place in this inner cell. They got these stocks around their feet. They can't they barely move. If there is a reason to be miserable, these guys have it. And what did they do for this? They did the right thing. See, it's one thing when you do the wrong thing to get yourself in trouble. You ever do that? <laughs> Sorry, officer. <laughs> I was going about 60 in a 25 mile an hour zone. I mean, that's your own fault, right? Okay, and you go, oh yeah, I get it. It's, it's, it's my fault, or I forgot to do this. But when you do the right thing, you do the good thing, you do the most positive thing you can do, and then everything goes bad. And that's exactly what happens to Paul and Silas. They're doing the right thing, sharing the love of Christ. These heathens didn't like it. And they took these guys and just beat them silly, throw them in this prison. And, uh, and it's an awful, awful circumstance. Certainly a time where you'd want to start moaning and groaning. But it says, the very next verse, this historical record, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. They're listening. Who does that? How come they're not cursing their God? How come these people are singing at the end of a horrible day? And these people are listening. Why? Because they are filled with 
inexpressible, glorious joy. Because that's what happens, even in our worst circumstances. You know, James writes in his letter, he says, consider it pure joy. Everybody say pure joy. Pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you win the lottery. No, that's not what it says. Consider it pure joy when your mother-in-law moves out of the house. No, that's not what it says. It says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Who considers pure joy when things go bad? People of faith. When you start to understand, God can turn all of your circumstances around and you are never forsaken. You are never alone. And you've seen God bless your life. When things start to go bad, you start to celebrate already. Because <laughs> you know what's coming. All right? Say, well, I've never experienced that. Well, that's guy we're trying to encourage you. Start walking in faith and start experiencing God. You will start, I'm telling you, the normal experience in the Christian life is not that bad things don't happen to you. It's that bad things happen to you and then God turns it around. And then something else bad happens and God turns it around. And something good, and then pretty soon, as soon as something bad happens, you go, <laughs> God's going to show up. All right? Because you're experiencing God. He says, consider it pure joy. The context is like celebrating. It's like calling your friends. Say, come over. We're going to have a party. Really? Why? My life sucks. Woo! <laughs> pure joy. Now, I must confess, even though I tend to be filled with joy, that my first response when things go bad is not joy. <laughs> Full disclosure here. I'm like most of you. Nobody likes it when things go bad. But at some point, you just got to settle down. And you got to let it go, let it go. And just start getting past what you see right in front of you and start to see what you can't see, which is called faith. And understand God turns things around. I don't like it when things go bad. I get irritated. Actually, all my shoes, you know, all these fancy shoes you see. All the... Can I tell you the story about my shoes? Let me tell you my shoe story. People say, how'd you ever get in those crazy shoes? This is what happened. All right, this is about five years ago. And my wife and I, we are doing a, a speaking tour throughout South, South Africa. And at, at the time, we had, you know, lots of employees and stuff like that. And anybody that's ever been in business knows that that's, it's great to have all these people, but it costs a lot of money, right? You got your expenses are going through. Even though the income's coming in, the expenses are, and so the expenses are insanely high. And it seemed like no matter how hard we were working, we just couldn't get ahead and barely keep our nose above the, above the water. And my wife was just going on for weeks saying, you know, they're wasting a lot of money. Oh, woman, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm telling you, they're wasting money. Well, man, leave me alone. I mean, it's just going on. And this guy doesn't do that. I mean, she's telling me all this stuff. So anyway, about halfway through this tour, I find out what some of my office people are doing. And they're spending money like drunken monkeys. I mean, it's like, it's like the government. <laughs> Seriously, we were like the federal government. You know, is that a $5 hammer? Let me give you $350. That'll make you even happier. You know, it's like, and I, I found out what was going on and I was so mad. And I told my wife, look what they're doing. She says, I told you. I know, but look what they're I told you, which isn't very helpful. I got to tell you. When was, <laughs> wife keeps, I told you, I told you. We're paying attention. I told you. I'm a little woman. I was so mad, and, and uh, it wasn't 
hundreds of dollars. It wasn't thousands of dollars. It wasn't tens of thousands of dollars. We're pushing over six figures, over $100,000 of stupid that's going in my office. And I find this out. So what happens when things get too big. Anybody, again, anybody with a business knows you get lots of employees, things spiral out of control. If you don't have the management stuff, well, things will get crazy. And I find out what's going on, and I'm mad as a hornet. And I said, look, for crying out. She says, I told you so. <laughs> so what if I just started spending money like crazy? Take my expense card and just start buying stuff just for the heck of buying stuff. I'm so mad. And we're in this really expensive mall. <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm just seething. I'm not in the joy of the Lord at this point. So I take, I, I get this card, you know, and they're just, they put thousands of dollars on this card because we couldn't transfer the money from that country into our country. It's all so complicated anyway. But there's a lot of money on this card. I was so mad. So I said, I'm going to just go spend money. And I don't know what to buy, right? I'm at mall. So I walk into the shoe store, and they have the coolest shoes you had ever seen. Uh, because unlike the United States, for being the richest country in the world, male shoe departments are awful. Right? There's two kinds of shoes in every store. Brown and black. Like, seriously? Now, the girls, they got all the fancy shoes, right? But the whole men's department, it's, and some of them are huge, long lines of just brown and black. This one's brown with a button. This one's brown with a string. This one's a brown with a sub. And this one is black. And it has a button. And this one has a string. And, this one, and then here's the radical one. It has brown and black. But seriously, Brown, if that's it? Reminds me of the uh, Blues Brothers. <laughs> See that movie? We like both kinds of music, country and western. I mean, like, that's all there is. <laughs> so anyway, but in Africa, and in, in Europe, and in Australia, and everywhere, you walk into a man's shoe store, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have all kinds of crazy, beautiful, nutty shoes. In fact, it's not unusual to go past a store and find more men in the store than women in shoe stores. Because about, but not in America. The other thing, colorful thing, we got a te- you know, tennis shoes. You know, blue, green, purple, all stripes and stuff like that. But not when it comes to shoes. Unless you're me. All right? Now, so all right, I see all these crazy shoes. And I just start buying shoes like a drunken monkey. And I walk out, and finally, this is how I went through all, there's a huge mall. I come back, and I have bags. Excuse my wife says, what did you do? I said, I was so mad. I just bought shoes. And that's how I got into shoes. In fact, oftentimes people will see me wear a pair of shoes. Are those new? No. I've never seen them before. I know it's the first time I've worn them. I still have shoes I haven't worn. I'm telling you. It was so bad. Now I actually enjoy the shoes. And it's kind of my calling card. And now I do it. It is a legitimate business expense now. <laughs> because I, I buy all these crazy shoes. But this was not the joy of the Lord. All right? Now it is because I praise the Lord that I have them. But that's, that's how I got into the shoes. And uh, 
How that helps anyone? I have no idea. I'm just telling you, I was so mad. <laughs> There's joy on the other side. The Lord turned them into joy. <laughs> you should see my closet and shoes. Bags, I'm so mad, I got all these shoes. My wife, what did you do? Anyway. I told you. Anyway. Uh, but even when I or anyone else has the normal initial, look, nobody has the initial response of Jesus is great. Nobody likes bad news. But in the midst of the bad news, you start to learn as a Christian. You start to actually anticipate God turning things around. And you actually start having joy before you see the answer. See, that's faith. It isn't faith to get a good answer and then have joy. That's not faith. Faith is I am already celebrating what I do not have. And people say, you're crazy. No, I'm filled with joy. It's called faith, right? If I give you $1,000, you're going to be very joyful. You might even go, praise the Lord. But see, that's not really faith because now you got it, right? Are you following me? Two people are listening to me. They're just staring at me. So uh, when you start celebrating when things are still yet bad, why? Because I have my trust in God, and I am filled with a glorious hope. And not hope, like we say today, hope means wishing. That's not what hope really means. Hope means being convinced of the answer before you get it. You convince the good thing. That's what hope. We're filled with a glorious hope. And this was despite troubles. Paul wrote about this. He says, I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. In all our troubles... Our joy knows no bounds. See, we think of joy when there are no troubles. No, when you start doing this right, you actually can start experiencing joy in the midst of troubles. Not for trouble's sake, because nobody likes troubles. Nobody likes things to go bad. And my initial response is like everybody else. I don't like it. But you get to a place where you know God will turn this around, because that's the kind of God that we serve. So anyway, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They got the snot kicked out of them. They're miserable. They're in pain. They're in stocks. And at midnight, they just start singing praise to God. And everybody's listening to him. What's wrong with these people? And the Bible says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It was like God just came up and just went, <laughs> and all of a sudden, every, but everybody was set free. Isn't that interesting? See, sometimes you just being joyful will set somebody else free. Somebody say amen. Right? So anyway, everybody says, well, the jailer wakes up. This big waking. He looks up. He saw all the doors open. Well, he freaks because he figures everybody had escaped. He draws out his sword, and he's about to kill himself. Why would he do that? Because that's what they... If you were a jailer and people escaped under your guard, they would slowly torture you and kill you. I mean, it was brutal. They would disembowel you while you're still alive. I mean, that's awful, horrible stuff they would do. And just slowly tear you to pieces until you finally surrender in death. When he saw that people, what he thought that he had escaped because he didn't realize what would happen, he was asleep. He reaches for he's going to kill himself. Better to kill yourself than to let somebody, than fall into the hands of these people that you're working for. All right? And, uh, but Paul saw him and shouted, he says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and he asked, 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he wanted in on this. I mean, come on. You're singing in the midst of a terrible thing. God shows up on your side. The doors pop open. Your chains fall off. How do I get in on this? This is the kind of life we should live. Really, we should live the kind of lives where our, jo our lives are filled with joy. We're experiencing God. We're living confidently in our faith. The people around you say, man, I want to be like you. How come you're like that? And you get an opportunity to share. And he says, what do I got to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas replies, well, believe in the Lord Jesus. And you'll be saved. You, your whole household. Everybody wants to get in on this deal. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. I mean, they're still in pain, right? Washes their wounds. And immediately... He and his whole house, household were baptized. So they baptized these guys. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. He's filled with what? Joy. Now he's got all of a sudden, I know what you're talking about. Because he puts his faith in Christ and he experiences this wonderful thing. This is what we are celebrating as Christians and certainly what we're celebrating as Christmas time. All right? And as I said in the first Advent week, <laughs> be careful because this time of the year can suck the joy out of you if you let it. All right? All the crazy, all the presents, all the in-laws, outlaws, all the other laws, and getting together and family and meetings and this and that and Christmas programs. Ah! If you're not careful, it'll suck the joy out of you. Watch. Pr protect your joy. Guard your joy. You should be where what are your most precious things? Something that boils up from inside of you because of the Spirit. In fact, the Bible says, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit is, of course, number one, love, but number two, right after love, joy. All right? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's why the writer of the Christmas carol wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your kindness. We're so wonderful for this glorious thing that you did 2,000 years ago, fulfilling the promises for thousands of years of the Messiah, and then Jesus comes, born that day, and then grew to be a man teaching us about love and about righteousness and about God, giving up his life as a sacrifice on that cross for us that we might have salvation. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are struggling believers that they would start to realize that you have great blessings in store for them, that even in the midst of their troubles, they can begin to celebrate because if they'll walk by faith, God is already at work to turn their situation around. And Lord, for those who are listening this morning, and maybe they've never truly surrendered their hearts to Christ, maybe their faith is more in their head, whatever it is, but Lord, Help them to experience it truly on the inside. Because if there's one thing that marks knowledge of God in our lives, it is this wonderful, glorious, positive, energizing, and life-changing joy, even in the midst of troubles. And for this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, see you all Saturday night, Christmas Eve.